Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Tyler from the Unleashing Deep In podcast, and I'm excited. We are back with another special guest. We are joined by Rishi from Mycelium. Hello, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Likewise. I'm glad we got a chance to chat. Uh, so a little context for everybody. Your colleague and friend, Metalite, we uh, we converse quite frequently on on the Deep In topic. So I know a little bit about what you guys are doing just from all of the amazing conversations that he and I have, but I'm excited to chat with you because uh, you are are on the forefront of doing some pretty incredible things for the space. So I'd love to just jump into it. How did you get into Deepin? What was kind of your first introduction? Uh, let's maybe start with there and we can level set and, and, and get into everything that you're building. Yeah. So I kind of got into Deepin before Deepin was Deepin. <clears throat> kind of goes back to the summer of 2020. It's like COVID summer, lockdown summer. Yeah. Everybody was stuck at home, working on their computers, you know, through Zoom, kids at home, kids running around, just a lot of adjustments. Um, I was also at home and um, just kind of hanging out. I was getting kind of bored, actually. And so I decided I would do this. I would pick up some house projects. And one of the house projects I picked and I regretted later was to build a whole rock patio and lay two (laughs) tons of rocks, you know, just for a nice little outdoor space. But yeah, I was... um, I was outside hauling rocks and, and kind of doing that whole thing. And I kind of caught myself sneaking back inside to take breaks, getting on my computer and looking up this thing called helium. And I don't know exactly how helium came across my radar, but once it did, it was just kind of, it just kind of stuck. Like I could not make myself unaware of that. And it was um, something that really just kind of stuck with me. Um, and I just, I just had to work through it. And about two or three weeks later, I just, I just had to dive right in. And so we ordered a bunch of hotspots, started putting them up everywhere. And that's, that was my first start. And that's how we got into deep end. That's awesome. There does, there definitely seems to be a theme with folks getting in because of helium. You know, that was the big catalyst for a lot of folks. And so it's, it's incredible to hear that that continues to be uh, a driving factor in what has become this new revolution called deep end. What were you doing before? Well, I mean, obviously you were laying rocks, but uh, professionally, what were you doing before you were, you were, full-time diving into deep end? Yeah. So I went to school for finance and accounting and then um, became a CPA and worked at a big four accounting firm auditing uh, SEC regulated companies, uh, which was super boring for me. A lot of great experience, but I spent a couple of years doing that and really kind of got a glimpse of the corporate landscape and kind of learned how business worked, learned the language of business a little bit. Um, But I, I learned really quickly that that was not for me. Um, it was just really boring for me. And I, I knew I needed to do something kind of a lot more exciting. So, um, did that for a couple of years and moved into an opportunity that I had to kind of work in small business, um, worked on the ownership and management side of a restaurant franchise and, um, spent about five years doing that, learned a whole lot about the ins and outs of, of business, top down everything and, uh, working with people, hiring, firing, just all the little things that you don't think about. Uh, and a lot of stuff that I never got the experience with on the corporate side of stuff and, sure. you know, was able to scale that business from three locations to nine locations in just a couple of years. Uh, so I've got a lot of experience in, in scaling efficiencies and, and, um, just operating a business. Then I moved to Northwest Arkansas after that and kind of got into some real estate stuff, some design work, just all kinds of just entrepreneurial passion chasing, I guess is what you could call it. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, throughout this whole time, uh, going back to when I left, uh, my accounting job and really kind of got into business within that same year, 
I had a buddy, this was 2011, who exposed me to Bitcoin. And just like the helium thing in 2020, back in 2011, when I heard about Bitcoin, that also just kind of broke my brain. Like it yeah. fundamentally changed everything for me. Um, and so over those like 10 years, I really kind of watched the industry, right? Like you used to be able to mine Bitcoin on your computer. We, we tried doing that back in 2011. I've got some funny stories about that, but um, really just like watching that initial decentralized network get more centralized over the years um, and just watching the miners, um, you know, which was us and could be anybody turn into these giant companies and, you know, hydropower dams and warehouses around the world. And, you know, it hardly seemed centralized, but um, yeah, I was watching the Bitcoin industry, keeping an eye on crypto. Like I had already bought into it, um, but it just seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of true innovation in those early days. And so you know, fast forward to Helium and it was just like, holy cow, we can use blockchain to apply the same concept as we did to Bitcoin with money to data. Um, and um, yeah, so it was really just me being an entrepreneur, me trying out a bunch of different things, me failing at a bunch of things and uh, just waiting for something that made a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. yeah. And that was, that was Helium in 2020. That's awesome. <clears throat> I'm curious because one of the things that's inter interesting when I talk to folks in the deep end space is that there does there seems to be more people who weren't into crypto beforehand do you think that you would have gotten into helium as much as you did if it wasn't for getting exposed to bitcoin back in 2011 that's a good question i mean i feel like it was kind of destiny in some ways but then in other ways i i had the bug like i had been watching like i knew that was like when i learned about bitcoin um it changed everything for me like i knew that that path was there and I couldn't just go down the traditional corporate Fed-based system. <laughs> like, you know, I was aware of it, studied all that in business school, did a lot of work in it. We all depend on it. Uh, but me just knowing that that path was there, I feel like in a lot of ways, I was on the lookout for something like Helium. So um, I think that played a big, big role into just my me gravitating towards, you know, Helium and what that meant, the implications of that. I, I really understood it really quickly. Sure. So transition to, uh, you learn about helium. What was the catalyst for starting mycelium and, and how did the stars align for you to say, okay, this is really innovative. I'm going to start a business that's in this space. Or how did you even think about wanting to support what was pretty nascent at the time and, and, and pretty cutting edge? How did that turn into a, a business opportunity for you and, and what you're doing today? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, truth be told, it kind of started with like your boredom. Um, you know, it was a, it was a really interesting time, summer of 2020. Um, and so I was really open to a lot of opportunities and had, had a couple of mentors who had mentioned that, you know, while the, while the world is like slowing down and stopping, um, you know, there are opportunities, there are opportunities to move forward quickly, um, while everybody else is just kind of like hunkering down. Um, and so I was on the lookout for opportunities like that. And when helium came along. I really saw a lot of similarities in the part of Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and some of the other proof of work um, projects um, in, in the mining part of it. You know, it's like, whereas in Bitcoin, it's very energy driven, um, you know, proof of work, GPUs, all that kind of stuff. This was mining too, but this was different. This was like, you can't take 200 hotspots and stick them in a warehouse. Um, I mean, you can, but like that, that doesn't really, you know, work right. for, for anything. 
Right. And so, you know, but I, I did see that like, really, this is mining. 80% of it is the same. It's just a few small differences. And, you know, those differences are, you're not really optimizing for energy efficiency. You're optimizing for coverage, right? You're optimizing for placing these nodes far enough apart to where, you know, they can provide reliable long distance coverage, but close enough together to where they can actually communicate. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm here in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, relatively new to the area. I'd been here a few years. Um, but this is, you know, if you don't know much about our, our uh, Northwest Arkansas, it's a really great place, great community, um, you know, wonderful people, really vibrant culture, um, and home to three Fortune 500 companies. And those three Fortune 500 companies are Walmart, which is, mm. you know, global retailer, uh, JB Hunt, which is a, you know, huge transportation trucking company, and Tyson, which is, probably the largest protein producer on the planet, I think. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's this kind of like logistics and supply chain powerhouse here. And, you know, I, I looked at what Helium was doing from the mining perspective and I was like, okay, I understand this. Uh, this makes sense to me. But on top of that, the technology that we were building was IoT. Uh, and I just kind of looked around and that was kind of what, you know, the stars aligned, you know, I was like, all right, I'm here. I got plenty of time. I understand uh, this helium thing and what better place to deploy an IoT network than, you know, a place like this. Right. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I called helium, talked to Mark Phillips over at, at uh, helium and uh, told him that I had this plan to blanket the entire Northwest Arkansas region and all of these, the campuses of these three fortune 500 companies and IoT coverage. And he was like, yeah, go for it. You know? And uh, so we bought a bunch of hotspots and just got started. And that was literally uh, how it began. Um, I didn't actually have plans to launch a company. I just had to do it. You know, it yeah. was just, it was just take the first step and see where it leads you. Um, and then, you know, nodes started coming online. They started talking to each other. It was amazing. Like, you know, it was just seeing that happen, uh, in real life. And, um, and then it was like, okay, cool. We've got this like one little area taken care of. We've got to do the whole region. Um, and it was like, well, probably need to start a company. That's where it came from. Yeah. How long did it take you from deploying a few hotspots to blanketing the entire, like, and that's correct, right? You guys have blanketed the entire Northwest Arkansas region with coverage is, and, and that's sort of become the test bed for what you're doing at the company side, which we can talk about in a little bit, but how long did it take you to go from, I'm going to deploy these to actually having that full scale coverage? Yeah. Um, I would say probably about 12 to 14 months. Um, okay. so we went really, really quickly. Um, you know, the first little bit, it was hard to get hotspots, um, you know, and then we were also figuring out all the the intricacies, right? Like if we think about this, like a new way to mine, um, well, we know some things, but we got to figure out the rest of the 20%. We had to figure out like how to, uh, talk to residents, how to talk to businesses, how to, you know, how far apart these things needed to go, how to deal with a mountain in between two nodes. Sure. Um, and it was a lot of trial and error. Um, and you know, our first, I would say like our first 32 nodes that we put out, um, that was like the easiest part, right? Like we just, it was friends. It was, you know, um, businesses that I, you know, went to all the time, you know, for, you know, restaurants, bars, you know, those sorts of things, coffee shops. Um, so that was easy. And, um, and then after that, we really had to kind of work through like, what do we tell people? Like, how do we explain this to people? How do we alleviate the the concerns that, you know, that there might be security issues or somebody sharing their internet bandwidth or what exactly is that in my window seal or on top of my roof. Um, and so a lot of that 
um, took about, I would say like took six to eight months um, to figure out. Uh, and then we just scaled up and we just went for it. Yeah. What was your pitch, by the way? How did you explain it to people that when you were deploying? Yeah, super interesting. So in the early days, like, you know, my idea was not just to, you know, kind of having that mining background and, and having done that before, understanding the the economic inconsistencies between the inputs and the outputs sometimes. Um, I really kind of wanted a long-term, I wanted to figure this out for the long-term, not just like a spray and pray sort of a thing, not just, uh, you know, we'll ROI in six, 12 months and then we'll take the stuff down. It was very much like trying to figure out a model for this for the long term. And that's what really kind of got me about helium was it's like, if this works, like it changes everything. And if this works, this will be the way that we do things going forward. So, um, you know, at first it was just figuring out what people's hesitation was. And we really kind of designed a pretty unique host network. Um, most of the companies at the time that were deploying or individuals at the time that were deploying um, and still, I think to this day, the standard default is kind of like the rev share model. And it's like, uh, we split it 50, 50 or 60, 40, you know, the deployer or the owner of the equipment and the host, but just kind of with my experience in, in mining, I knew like crypto goes up and down and there was no guarantee and yeah. how many people are really going to want to be converted to crypto in order to host my equipment. Uh, so we kind of took a different approach and, and this kind of laid the groundwork for, a test bed with a host network that could be expansive and really grow and scale in the way that I kind of felt like it would need to in order for it to be worth building. Uh, and so we took the crypto element out of it completely and we just went to host and we were like, look, we will pay you in dollars every month to be able to put this equipment there. Um, and, um, on top of that, it was not a revenue show model. It was cool. We'll take care of all the crypto stuff. We'll take care of all the, you know, crypto tax related stuff. Like we'll keep that stuff in house for us. Um, so you don't have to deal with it. You just collect your monthly payment and it was a flat monthly payment. So, you know, we kind of looked at it and, and it was like, well, what happens when the market goes down? Do we have to tell our hosts that they're going to earn less and less and less? Well, what happens yeah. if the market goes up? Like, are we going to be splitting really, really profitable months uh, with them? Like, do they even want that? And very quickly, like with our market research and conversations, you know, we decided, yeah, flat rate US dollars and like no surprises. And then we, we shield the market from those hosts. Like we deal with all of that. So that our hosts, they can just collect that monthly payment every month, help us keep the equipment online and everybody's happy. Yeah. That seems like pretty, uh, pretty sound business plan for you guys to be able to scale up. And so what that led into was your company today. Can you talk about the different components of mycelium and how, what you were doing at the host network and maybe explain to folks who don't know what that is, what, what that is and, and how that's turned into your guys' product offering today? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like you mentioned, the first struggle was figuring out how to build our network, right? Build a network of hosts. And you know, we had a lot, it's, at some points we had a lot of equipment that we needed to get out into host homes, businesses, things like that. Uh, at other times we didn't have equipment and we had a bunch of hosts who were ready to start earning money. Um, so there was definitely some, you know, growing pains in the early days. Uh, but our goal there was to start with the host network, to start with this living infrastructure um, of people, businesses, you know, commercial buildings, business buildings, residential complexes, um, just to try to get like that widespread, you know, 
a little bit of everything over the 1600 square mile area that we've got. And, you know, we knew that if this works, right, that like more technology would come, there would be other, I guess it wasn't D-Pen at the time, it was D-Y, I guess. Yeah. Um, but there would be copycats, there would be other viable projects, um, teams that saw what worked, iterated on what didn't, and then, you know, came out with the next version or the newest technology of some stuff. But, you know, this way of mining, this way of deploying decentralized equipment was here to stay. And we needed to really build that host network as a foundational layer for everything to come. And so the host network is absolutely the foundation of the test bed. Um, and eventually our region kind of became the test bed. So um, after about a year or so, we had successfully blanketed the entire region in IoT coverage. Uh, so like hundreds of IoT nodes in the area. Plenty of redundancy and you know the way that the algorithm worked is like the more generally like until scaling kicked in like the more witnesses the better um and you know it was really all in preparation for like what comes next and in the back of our minds and the way that we were building mycelium was you know we kind of set up a test bed for for helium iot um we tested it we built the network and then you know we started exploring solutions and devices and we had tags uh, or tabs at the time you know which was the one Thing that worked on the helium network and um you know from that point it was just like what's next right like how do we design this test bed um, to facilitate new technology um, so mycelium's mission is to accelerate the world's adoption of decentralized networks and it's a very broad mission uh, but as it relates to dpin it was you know these are the new decentralized networks this is physical infrastructure to this date at its finest. And so yeah. how do we help accelerate this trend in technology? And so our biggest thing was maintain this host network, build it in a way that we could expand outward, make sure it was stable. And that when the market went, went down, um, our network didn't go down. We didn't lose hosts. We didn't lose interest, that sort of a thing. Uh, and then to prepare for what eventually became the test bet, which is, you know, in some ways an incubator, in some ways a accelerator, in some ways, we're just a partner and a friend to deepen networks and exploring all sorts of ways to kind of get this technology out there. Um, and, you know, there was really kind of two uh, two types of categories of, of uh, deepens, and there was more, and I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but there's the coverage side and there's the sensor side. The sensor side leads into like devices and products and consumer friendly, adding to life like beneficial, um, you know, things like that help you or like help you find your, your pet or make sure that your, you know, your beer fridge stays cold. Yeah. Those sorts mm -hmm. of things. So, um, you know, it was really just, um, and, and I guess that's where we are now. Like there's a lot of new stuff coming. Um, and so just being able to build the host network, the test bed, all of our partners along the way eventually opened up distribution channels for us as well. So, you know, we're kind of getting into that now and assisting teams that are little bit more on the device and solution side, um, not just networks that are putting out coverage, uh, but really everything in between. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the next phase for the test bed is the distribution of a lot of these solutions. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And so how, how are projects leveraging the test bed? What does that look like at a very tactical level for those that are building products that are interfacing with the networks? Can you kind of talk about that relationship or what that, what that process looks like a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, we're still young. These networks are still young. We're still figuring it out as we go together. Um, but I mean, ultimately we're just, we're here to help. Right. So we can take those 
that oversimplified approach of uh, coverage networks and sensor networks. And I think for coverage networks, we're we're really focused on the acceleration part of that. Um, I think comparing the two coverage networks have been around a little bit longer, you know, starting with Helium IoT. Uh, there's more of an understanding of that. Um, you can set up coverage networks with, you know, very little underlying infrastructure. Uh, you need a good host network or the ability to deploy devices to set up coverage. Um, but coverage networks are a little bit further along in the life cycle. Not to say that there's not new good ones coming because there are plenty of good ones uh, coming, but uh, we've already got a handful. And mm -hmm. so what we've really kind of applied our living infrastructure uh, to, I guess, with these coverage networks is to accelerate them. And, you know, if we've got hundreds of locations uh, and a network needs to deploy and maybe they want to deploy in a particular area before they go worldwide, before they go global, uh, which is a huge, huge leap, uh, that testing data, uh, the the ability to analyze how those nodes or that equipment is performing uh, in a real world laboratory is very, very valuable. Um, and, sure. you know, with our hundreds of locations and our stable host network, we literally have the ability to essentially like set up ubiquitous coverage in the entire region overnight. Um, and so that was what it was built for. And so we're definitely talking to uh, a number of coverage networks right now, um, kind of evaluating which ones seem the most viable and which ones, um, you know, make sense. And, you know, it could just be 20 locations. It could be 200. Uh, but, you know, we have the ability to essentially launch. And then what that means for those teams is they can iterate. They can look at that data. They can see what's working. They can see what worked on paper and they can see what doesn't translate to the real world. They can look at what's happening in the real world and be like, whoa, we did not see that coming. Um, and work with us to essentially coverage, remove coverage, change it up, try new things, switch out hardware. And so we kind of look at that as like more of an accelerator. Um, for solutions and sensor networks, example being like uh, Weather XM or even iMapper, which, you know, their, their goals are more to kind of collect the world's information as opposed to setting up the communication rails for that. Right. Uh, and those are either built kind of on top of or alongside the coverage networks. I think their goals are a little bit different. They might be a little bit newer um, in the developmental cycle. Um, and so in a lot of ways, they're still working mm. on product market fit or UI UX issues or, you know, who is their demographic or, you know, who are they going to sell that data to? So a um, little bit of a different ballgame. Um, and I would kind of group solutions, uh, devices, product services that, you know, all the stuff that's coming into that category as well. And there we kind of focus a little bit more on incubation. You know, we've got this broad network of locations that are composed of businesses and people. And, you know, it's a, it's a real, uh, real life laboratory with real life happening all around. And yeah, you know, these products and these, um, you know, these data centric devices are meant for people and for businesses. And so, uh, we try to connect all the dots. We try to find, you know, hey, you know, these particular businesses or, or this type of consumer might be interested in this product. How do we get this in their hands? How do we make it user friendly? How do we, you know, iron out the bumps and, and make sure that it's ready for, for market? So um, acceleration will come there, but uh, we get the ability to really kind of work with the teams at the ground level and really focus on incubation. So yeah, and I, and I think that there's plenty of teams that we're talking to that don't quite fit in either of those categories, but they're still interested in, in kind of this infrastructure. And I think that more and more, we're realizing that the test bed has become a very, very important utility for the entire defense space.
Yeah, that real world laboratory example that you talk about uh, is so invaluable for someone that's building hardware that they need to, you have to be able to test the stuff in a real life environment. So what would that the life cycle look like prior to having the test bed? Is it the onus is on the project to then have to go out and set up the coverage, try to find, you know, get in the hands of users to to be able to test these things? Is How does that look like? And then, you know, compare and contrast that to what you're doing with the test bed for people that are building projects that are interested in trying to accelerate that effort. Like what's the, what does that life cycle look like for the whole, you know, A to A to Z setup and, and, and completion process? Yeah. So I think like, you know, I really kind of look at this as like, we're entering into the second cycle of Deepin. The first cycle was really led by Helium IoT. Um, and then, you know, a handful of projects and, and teams that really just kind of, um, recognize and realize what was happening and how they could leverage that, you know, token economic model, human behavior, uh, and really kind of, um, you know, jumped on the scene and the second cycle, you know, that's just now started, right? There's a whole new way of technology and there'll be a third and a fourth and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, the test bed really didn't exist in its current form during the first cycle. I mean, we were building the test bed while everything was being tested and experimented. We were learning about stuff and projects were, you know, doing really well and failing and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think the easiest way to look at it is, you know, look at Helium IoT. In some ways uh, they hit it right on the head. In other ways they got super lucky. You know, um, <laughs> I think the first 10,000 hotspots were pretty tough for them to sell. You know, they were figuring out how to market it, who their, who their demographic was, like who's going to buy this stuff, like who, who cares enough to do this. And then after a while, they kind of figured it out. They kind of figured out who to target. They found me while I was laying rocks. But, um, you know, it's it's very much like it just kind of blew up, right? But what we've seen over the last couple of years is it's not that easy. It's not that easy to go from zero to 100. Like there are yeah. stops along the way. And, you know, Helium really did a, a remarkable job of flying past those constraints. Um, but the reality is that those constraints are pretty real. Like there's a big gap between setting up 10,000, you know, nodes in San Francisco and a couple other places, uh, and then going global. So I think that we really have built the test bed for this next cycle, um, and really kind of refining, uh, that process. And so I think without the test bed, it'd be a little bit more hit or miss for projects. Mm -hmm. I think that it's really, really important to have something like this. And that's why we've built it. We've built it to accelerate the world's adoption of these decentralized networks. Um, and without it, I, I think it's just super important. I think it would have, somebody would have built one somewhere, um, because it yeah. just makes a lot of sense. It makes uh, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, with it, what we're going to see during this next cycle is it will become more and more a part of the roadmap of these networks. We talk to teams all the time, every day, uh, teams that you know, are out there with hardware teams that are just pen and pad at this point, ambitious students who are looking to launch something when they graduate, just everything across the board. Um, and now that the test bed exists, it's almost like a milestone, um, a proving grounds, uh, not just a testing ground, but a proving grounds for, uh, for projects. You can really put your project on display for the whole mm -hmm. world to see. Uh, in a controlled environment, which is um, something that I think more and more teams will just not only find beneficial when they when they come to the test bed, but plan for it. Right. In every other business industry, you always have to, you know, you test with the beta product or you've got sort of an MVP and in this real world decentralized infrastructure with people and 
all these different stakeholders trying to replicate that is really challenging. And so having a, a place to go or a way to be able to just set up and, and start validating what you're trying to do, I think is it's a no brainer and you're right. Someone would have figured it out if it wasn't you guys. And so, um, that's pretty amazing that you're driving that. Can you talk about any projects that you're specifically working with? I know you mentioned hive mapper and weather XM, or there are some other project examples that you can talk about who have been leveraging your test bed or just different things that you're seeing as part of that, that testing process with, within your ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one thing to point out is that, um, you know, there is, it's very nascent. Uh, the industry is very nascent right now. Um, and we've really built the test bed to be a utility and therefore a lot of our focus has been on the objectivity of it, right? Like making sure that it's open to everybody that, um, that there's no, uh, politics or anything like that. And so, you know, for that reason, like we, we kind of try to be really careful about what we divulge in terms of the testing and the conversations and stuff like that. Make sure that all teams have a, a fair shot at using the infrastructure. Um, but personally, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about a couple of projects. Um, I think one of the obvious ones right now is Helium Mobile. Um, you know, being an early Helium guy on the IoT side, you know, definitely seeing the potential in that. There's been a lot of changes uh, now. Helium Foundation, Nova Labs, uh, just the whole network of networks, this hugely complex and awesome protocol uh, that's been moved over to Solana. But, you know, I think that when it comes to like, bringing it all together, like real world technology, real world, um, you know, like increasing capabilities, like owning our data. Um, you know, how do we onboard millions of people, you know, utilizing this technology? How do we, you know, and it's not just deep, it's, it's web three. It's like the, where, where the world is going. Yeah. And I think that Helium Mobile is just one of the best examples of how to do that. And I think that their approach is fantastic. Um, you know, they're figuring out things as they go, just like anything else. But, you know, a lot of the industry, you know, is following Helium's lead, Helium Mobile's lead, um, you know, Nova's lead, the foundation's lead. I mean, they're, they were the first to the scene. They're, they're pretty far ahead, uh, in a lot of things, but, um, yeah, I'm super, super excited about Helium Mobile. I think that that's really going to kind of, uh, raise the awareness of Deepin quite a bit in a tangible way, right? Like nerds like you and me. Um, you know, we, we get this stuff, like we, you know, we nerd out on it all the time, but you know, like when I explain this stuff to my mom, she's like, cool, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're doing great. But for me to be able to sign her up for Helium mobile and put a hotspot, you know, at her business and kind of explain it to her and for her to actually see it and understand it. Um, I think that they're doing incredible work across the entire spectrum. So super, super excited about that project. And then, yeah, weather XM is another kind of pet project of mine. I mean, I think. In some ways, I think WeatherXM is kind of like the killer app of Helium IoT, uh, at least for now. I mean, the the idea of, in the United States, at least we have such an outdated weather infrastructure, like, mm. and it was all built in like the early 1900s. And uh, there's not that many weather stations and it's mostly a network of people talking and figuring out what to put the forecast. But now we've got, you know, hundreds or thousands of weather stations that can be deployed by everyday people and all that weather data transfers uh over the helium iot network and you know it's built up on it and made possible by it and right. what we do with all that data we can actually watch storms pass through neighborhoods and i mean it took forever for my dad um to agree to get an iphone back in the day he was like this phone with buttons works just fine why do i need an iphone and then yeah kind of forced him to get one and then like trying to take that away from him 
Yeah. And I think it's the same way. Like we're used to not like we're used to knowing that the weatherman is wrong most of the time. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're used to having like a, a different, like you can stand next to me and we can pull up our like respective weather ass and we're going to get different, you know, different uh, current weather results. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just kind of become something we deal with. But like, if you really think about it, what can we do if we knew more precisely exactly what the weather was going to be like or what it was, what it was in a particular place or, you know, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's like when that happens, we can't go back. Right. Right. I hear you. Uh, everybody can empathize with the, with the weather example too. That's one of those real, real time pain points. I'm from Seattle. So that was always the the struggle. Is it going to rain? You look at the map, it says, yeah, it's not going to rain here. It, it's going to still rain there. And so being able <laughs> to try to coordinate is very challenging. When one of the other things that I find so interesting about applications like that is that it's sort of, it's, it becomes part of that stack where it's no longer, we're just trying to replicate like a me too network. It's, it's actually synergistic with what's already, you know, what's already there and what's already working. And that blends back to your test bed is having that ubiquitous coverage so that you can go in and do these test examples. I think it's such an, a, such a no brainer, just amazing application. What is the next phase of the, of either the test bed or what you're doing at mycelium more generally, what does that look like? How does the, you know, you mentioned there's going to be a third phase. Can you talk through sort of your guys's product evolution and, and iteration and, and what that's going to kind of look like in the future for us? Yeah, I think you, you touched on it with the stack, right? I mean, you know, up until this point we've had, I want to say like piecemeal technology, you know, we've got this network, that network, it's kind of, you know, not, I don't want to say throwing darts at a dartboard, but, hmm. you know, figuring out what works and just pushing it forward. And as we enter into this next cycle, this second defense cycle, I see it evolving into kind of more of a stack approach or like a uh, targeted solutions approach. So, you know, right now we've got this test bed, we've got a ubiquitous layer of foundational helium IOT. We've got a couple other coverage networks that we've got deployed here as well with products, solutions being built on top and alongside. But if we were to start today, we wouldn't go layer by layer. We would probably go in and bring a stack, right? We would, right. If we were putting up helium IOT. There would definitely be some weather XM offloading on IOT. You know, once we've got IOT, there's, you know, Hide Mapper utilizes that, Demo utilizes that. And so we would really kind of go in with that whole solution stack or kind of like, what are we trying to enable as opposed to protocol by protocol? Right. Um, and I think that that kind of leads to, you know, the natural question of like, do, does my CELIM ever have any plans to expand outside of the test bed? Um, and I think that's a, a natural evolution of what we're doing. I mean, you know, like I said, there's, there's steps along the way from zero to 100. And if the test bed is like 25 on that scale, well then like what's 50 and what's 75. And I think that it's one thing to, for, for networks or projects or teams to work on launching something in the test bed and to get this real data. But then this real data doesn't always translate to the next set of expansion capabilities and like where, you know, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, we're not covered in ice here. There's a particular landscape here. There's a particular, so I think that there's other areas around the globe that could benefit from something like this too. So, yeah, I mean, I think if we were going to expand uh, out of the test bed, which seems natural, we would go into those new zones with with a planned stack. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Right now, we're really focused on the test bed. We're focused on 
adding as much value as we can to this next wave of deep of deep end projects. And you know that is going to take place in the test bed. That is going to really kind of unlock those doors. But I think down the road, cycle three, cycle four, it makes sense to have kind of a staggered rollout um, in, in some new areas as well. Sure. With that, call it the, the, the stack that people are, are testing on, are there other over and above having the coverage, are there other sort of resources or utilities that will find themselves being a part of, of your solution that just enable a faster go-to-market testing as part of that function? Is that how you're looking at iteratively improving the, the, the product over time? Yeah, I think, you know, in the testbed itself, we're, as we work with more teams, there's more kind of non-standard ways that we can help and that we're learning. Um, so implementing that into the test bed, making it as capable as possible. I think one of the things that we're focusing on right right now, I mean, we we feel really comfortable with our ability to, you know, if we need to add a couple hundred locations, we can do that really quickly. You know, if we need to roll out a network quickly, totally possible. A lot of the products and solutions that are coming to market in the deep end landscape right now are being targeted a little bit more to consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the keys for us is that we have kind of a sphere of influence we have a good reputation here. You know, we, we love our community. Our community really supports us. We couldn't do anything without our community. And so naturally they become interested in what we're doing. They, they become interested in like how they can get involved outside of just being a host and collecting, you know, their monthly payment. And a lot of folks are actually interested in some of the things that we're working on. And so exposure is an important part of it. You know, when companies do decide to go to, you know, go to market to consumers or to businesses having a cheerleader on their side, having the ability to speak to the legitimacy of these projects is very important. And then I touched on it earlier too, the distribution channels, you know, whether it's businesses or the Walmart, JB Hunt, Titan complex here and the hundreds of supporting businesses and, and things like that, uh, that are kind of in that whole industrial complex that, that a retail complex that exists here. I think that that's something that we're working on really kind of bridging into and kind of connecting the threads to, to make sure that deep end partners of ours that are operating in the test, but have the ability to kind of go to market in that broader way. Yeah. How long, it's not a question of, uh, if it's a question of when, how long until you see some of those large scale companies, companies like Walmart, companies like JB Hunt, who are naturally, this is such a perfect solution for, for what they're doing. When do you see the intersection of what they're doing coming into this deep end thing? Do you, like, when are they going to start leveraging this do you see that in a one-year horizon is it five years out if you're just to speculate for everybody what, what's your uh what's your estimate on on the timeline there oh man that's a super tough question you know generally speaking with and this may be going back to my like not liking the corporate <laughs> word for my early <laughs> career but uh there's so much red tape there's so much bureaucracy there's so many levels uh decision makers are, are hiding behind multiple gatekeepers um You know, I think there's a lot of work to be done there. At some point, the technology, I truly believe that, that this technology is going to, you know, supersede any existing technology. This is just a better way to build physical infrastructure. Like we've, we've literally figured out the light bulb of building things, um, building infrastructure. And it's through a decentralized manner, which you can incentivize people who benefit from it to build it. And I think that the, the innovative, like the, the rate of innovation that kind of comes along with Deepin, um, that's bound to catch up and exceed the current where we are in the regular technology world. 
um, a lot of these systems that these companies use tested, you know, they've been around for a long time. They're super secure. They're closed. You know, there's a lot of security privacy. I mean, I think a lot of making sure that competitors don't get to use the same system. I think there's a lot of that, that kind of exists at that level. Um, but this really levels a playing field, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that when some of these smaller companies start to really get interested in these projects and using this technology, that will naturally put a lot of pressure on the big guys. I think it's happening right now. Definitely know that it's happening. When does boss man, uh, at big publicly traded corporation sign off on it? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Probably between one and five years. That's probably as close to an estimate <laughs> as I can give you. But yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's going to happen. There's a lot of work being done. There's a lot of trust building that has to happen. A lot of like use case proof, but the more that the real life benefits are shown, I mean, that's what executives really need. You know, that's, you know, they need to see it work. They need to know that they're not going to, you know, go down a path that's going to end up biting them. It's really just a matter of time, I think. And I think that this is one of the fastest growing sectors and the, one of the best ways to build this technology. So really just a matter of time. And I think within a couple of years, you're going to really start probably less than that. You're going to start seeing some big companies jump on board. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, one of the things that I've been surprised and excited to see was, you know, companies like T-Mobile getting involved with Helium, both Deutsche Telekom, which is over in, in Europe at the IoT level and on the, the mobile side, and then obviously in the U.S. with Helium Mobile. There, there are Fortune 100 companies that are starting to jump on the bandwagon a little bit. So hopefully that timeline will be accelerating faster than we, we think, which would be, I think, amazing for everybody because you're right. It, it does. It is sort of a great equalizer and it's going to create a lot of value for a lot of folks that are early on and, and, and seeing seeing the power curve. Was there any other updates or, or just things coming down the pike that with respect to your project specifically that you, you wanted to share before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think the thing I'm most excited about, I mean, it's I'm perfectly fine with the test bed being boring, you know, like not a lot of hype around the test bed itself because the the key to the test bed is the projects, right? That's what, I mean, we're here to highlight what's happening in the test bed. And so, yeah. you know, the test bed will continue to be incrementally improved and we'll continue to take feedback from these teams and, and try to adjust and expand, you know, our capabilities in order to serve all the new needs. And during this next, the second deep end cycle, like I definitely know there's things we're not anticipating that are going to be really beneficial and helpful to our partners. But I think I'm just pumped about what I know is coming. I get the benefit to to talk to teams that haven't launched yet. Um, they're working on their hardware right now. They're planning things on particular chains that have not been done before. Um, and it's super hard not to get excited about that. And I think that the highlight of the test bed is everything that's coming in the test. Mm. This next wave is going to be awesome. It's going to be huge. Yeah, we're excited yeah. for that. Well, you mentioned that you've got folks that are sort of stakeholders in the in the test bed that are uh, involved. They're they're listening to what you are talking about. How can other folks that are interested get involved, stay engaged with with you at the community level? Uh, what does that look like? How how can folks stay updated with with everything you guys are building? Yeah. So if you're a if you're a deep, if you're building something that you know works in a deep end environment. If you have an idea, just contact us. I mean, we'd love to collaborate, brainstorm, you know, help with hardware specs or test hardware. Um, really, any stage of development that projects are in, we definitely welcome you on board. 
we may not be able to do everything, but we can definitely help in certain ways. So if you have any questions or anything like that, please reach out to us. Check out our website, myceliumnetworks.com. We've got a pretty fun little Discord server, uh, discord.gg forward slash mycelium, and then we're myceliumx on Twitter. So uh, just get in touch. We'd love to talk to you. That's great. And we'll be sure to link all that down below. Make it easy for folks to find, get engaged, get involved. I think that's 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 amazing, especially for for deep end projects that are are getting ready to launch. This is a a no brainer part of that of that iteration as, as folks go to market. So, well, I wanted to thank you. This has been really really interesting to hear about everything that you're doing. I love you know pe people call it picks and shovels in different industries, especially in Web three. You hear that term a lot, and what you're building is very much a important pick and shovel for folks. So I, it's incredible to hear about all the progress, how much you're supporting these projects. I just wanted to thank you. And we'll, we'll wrap it up there, everybody. I will make sure to link all of those handles, Twitter, website, uh, Discord down below. So you can go and check them out. Again, if you're a deep end builder, please go say hello. They are good folks over there. Like I said, I've had a lot of great chats with with your colleague. And um, it's it's been amazing to see just the work that you guys are putting into this. And the passion is clearly evident. So I want to say thank you. And everybody will see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Nice.